invite you to take your Bibles to Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading with verse 20 up through chapter 5, verse 2. And when I complete reading the scripture, please keep your Bibles open as we'll uh, work our way through this text. Ephesians chapter 4, begin with verse 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. But you do not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, you have, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, who are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. and Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, slander, be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Well, the grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time of study. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we are so thankful that your word is inspired by you. That it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped unto every good work. Lord God, we're also mindful that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to divide between the very thoughts and the very intentions of our hearts. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. That you'd use the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that we might yield up our hearts that might be carved up by the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, that where there is faith, that you would enhance that faith. That you would grow that faith 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Lord God, if there's a lack of faith, that you, by your grace, would bring forth that, that faith, giving us the grace, the faith, to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the marvelous truths of your scripture. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Right? Wrong. We know that our bones will heal, but words often cut deep and they leave scars. 
for many, many years. All of us in this room have been chopped up and diced up by people who've cut us down with their words. And if we're honest before, with, with ourselves before the living God, we too need to confess that we've used our words to cut and dice up people. We've offended them through the use of our words. And many of you know me, many of you don't know me, but those of you who do know me know that I only preach one-point sermons. One-point sermon. This is a sermon, the point I'm give you the point. You think through this as I'm working my way, or we're working our way through the text here that God has given us this morning. And it's a text, and it's a, a point that you take home with you this week and think about it this week. The point of the sermon is this. Christian, in your new life in Jesus Christ, God calls you to replace your corrupt speech with wholesome words that please Jesus. As a Christian, your new life in Christ calls you to put off, put off corrupt speech and to put on wholesome words that please Jesus Christ. Now the context of our preaching portion this morning, which is Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, the Apostle Paul is setting forth that there's a big difference between unbelievers and believers. Not only what we believers are supposed to think, but what we believers are supposed to do. God calls us believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to put off the old man, the old way, the, the old unregenerate baggage and all that went with that. We're supposed to put that off and we're supposed to put on the new man, the new walk. Look at Ephesians 4.22. Ephesians 4.22 that in reference, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. This laying off and this putting on is called the, the put off and put on dynamic. It's the call from God that we are to change from our old ways and put on the new man, the new virtues, that are found in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's growing more and more to be like Jesus. That's the call. This call, change of call, it calls for a renewed mind. If you look at Ephesians 4.23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12.2, Paul sets forth that we are to be renewed we're not to be, he says in 12, 2, we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we certainly know that 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 5 calls us that we are to make every thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. The spiritual growth in Christ, it's a lifelong process, and it begins at conversion. So we as Christians are called to identify. We are called to confess patterns and habits and tendencies that are not God-honoring and we're to cast them off, we're to throw them off and throw them away like we throw away dirty clothing in a rag bag. We're to get rid of these old practices. And the beauty of God's inspired word is that the Lord has given us many examples in the word on how to implement this put off and put on dynamic. And knowing how this principle works is crucial 
understanding how we as Christians are to become more and more like Jesus. Many of you probably have committed to memory Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We often don't memorize verse 29, which gives us the purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So here all along you thought you're just, conformed, you're just predestined unto salvation, but more than that, we're predestined to become more and more like Jesus. So not only predestined unto, unto redemption, but it's more than redemption, we've been predestined unto sanctification. We might become more like, more like Jesus. And so understanding this put-off, put-on dynamic is crucial for your personal life, for your family life, for your church life, and all the relationships that you have. It's how we grow. It's how we become more and more conformed to the image of, of the Lord's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Scripture is full of examples of this put-off, put-on dynamic. The Holy Spirit has given us examples, four examples actually here, in Ephesians 4, 20 through 32. Now the first example, by way of exhortation, indeed it's by way of command, is to put off lying and to put on speaking truth. In other words, we're to change from lying and bearing false witness to speaking truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside, in other words, putting off falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So that's one example on how we are to implement this put-off, put-on dynamic. We put off lying, we put on speaking truth. Second exhortation is to put off our sinful anger and put on our righteous anger. Verses 26 through 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You realize that when you have unrighteous anger, you give the devil a big opportunity? The third example is found in verse 28, to put off stealing in what, of its many forms, to put that off, and that we're to put on labor and working, to change from stealing to sharing. Look at verse 28. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Now the fourth principle, or example of a new life in Christ, calls us to put off the corrupt words that we speak and put on words that edify, words that build up. To change from unwholesome words to useful speech. A Christian speech should be transformed like other areas in our life are being transformed. Not conformed to the world, but transformed. Christian speech is not to be corrupt. So let us consider some characteristics of corrupt speech. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome words. Now the Greek word in the original text, which is translated unwholesome, at least it is in the New American Standard Version, the version that I use here, 
It literally means that which is bad, that which is rotten, that which is worthless, that which is harmless. It often refers to that which is corrupt, uh, used in a way of, of rotten fruit or rotten vegetables, other spoiled foods such as meat that's putrid, decaying meat. It stinks because it's rotten. Much of our speech, brothers and sisters in Christ, stinks. Corrupt speech generally manifests itself in three ways. The first is by profanity. The second is by filthy or impure words. And the third one are words that tear others down. Let's look at profanity or cursing or profane swearing. Very, very common today. You might find this interesting, I found this interesting, that the word profane is Latin from the prefix pro, which means before, and the root fane from fandom, meaning temple. So literally, it means before the temple. Another look at it, it's not in the temple. It's not sacred. In the temple, it's sacred. But before the temple, it's not sacred. In other words, it's common. It's secular. And it can mean irreverent, it could mean contempt, it might mean desecrate. It's disregard for sacred things. Profane language is called profanity. And we hear it virtually everywhere, don't we? Some people never say Jesus Christ except when it's on their name for profanity. It's not sacred when they take our Lord's name in vain. And we hear it all the time. No Christian should ever, ever indulge in profane swearing. The Christian should not only avoid what the world does, but also the very common practice of using God's attributes profanely. And such expressions as, for goodness sake, goodness gracious, mercy me, good heavens, or the like. Now, this is subtle. You may never, ever have thought about this before. It's very subtle. Also, the Christian should conscientiously avoid the prevalent practice of using what someone called minced oaths. Minced oaths. It's that slightly disguised imitations of profanity that the worldly person uses. Let me give you some examples. These minced oaths include expressions such as darn, which really means damn or damnation, heck, which means hell, gosh, which means God, jeepers, which means Jesus, cripes, which means Christ, G, which is short for Jesus, among others. Ah, come on, Pastor Stazen, you're nitpicking. You're nitpicking, Pastor Stazen. I don't mean to take the Lord's name in vain when I use these words. I never knew such. Well, you know such now. Take a look at Webster's Dictionary, and you can't use a modern-day Webster's Dictionary. Go back in the 1960s and look up all these words. Look up gosh, gee, and golly, and you'll see that they're derivatives of the name of God. It's how the world gets away from using 
the Lord's name in profanity, and so they substitute G, gosh, and golly. See, Satan persuades Christian people to use these and many other approximations which are subtle attacks, I submit to you, upon the sacred name of the Lord our God. Satan's duped you. He's pulled the wool over your eyes. I mean, how much it must have grieved the Apostle Peter, remember, that he not only denied the Lord, but he even denied him with cursing and swearing. Perhaps that memory caused Peter to pray with David, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep a watchtower over the door of my lips. That's Psalm 141, verse 3. Many Christian people are extremely careless about their speech. We should be shocked when we hear our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ use these minced oaths and expressions that are against our God. Profanity is rotten speech. Another common violation of clear speech is by the use of filthy or impure language. Filthy or impure language. This category of sin lumps together actual words as the four-letter dirty words that are often associated with sexual connotations. Category includes the way words are used, the off-colored double-meaning jokes and expressions. It speaks to the way actual words are used and the thoughts in a person's mind. Very common sin today, even among professing Christians. No Christian should ever tell or listen to what we call dirty stories or dirty jokes. To do so is to copy the way of the world and is to defend the living God. As a Christian minister, it brings me great consternation to my soul to see how Christians rationalize using this type of language, be it audible, be it in song or in print media, including emails and texts. Such off-color vernacular. They say, oh well, that's the old days and languages have changed and language has evolved today and it really doesn't mean what it used to mean. Or, well, I'm really used to hearing those words and when those words come into my hearing, I just turn it off. Oh, well, I don't really mean anything by these bad words. They're simply space fillers in my sentences. Oh, well, everybody talks like that today, and really it doesn't mean anything derogatory or negative. I mean, either this rationalization is a ruse, a hoax, or a cover-up, or folks are blind and calloused, hardened in their speech, having no care about reforming or renewing their speech in pleasing God. Friends, it's gutter language. It's corrupt language. It's offensive. It's unclean language, dirty words, demeaning words. So not only do we have words that we call profanity or dirty talk, but a third, corrupt, a third characteristic of corruptive speech is language that tears others down. Gossip, slander, 
name-telling and calling, character assassination, venting of unrighteous anger, destructive words, all of these cut really, really deep. Words can destroy. Words can kill. Profanity, filthy and impure words, speech that tear people asunder, all characteristics of corrupt speech. That's the old man. We're to put off the old man and put on the new man. Listen to what commentator Matthew Henry says about this verse from Ephesians 4.29, and I quote, We are here warned of corrupt communications and directed to that which is useful and edifying. Filthy and unclean words and discourse are poisonous and infectious as putrid, rotted meat. They proceed from and provoke a great deal of corruption in the heart of the speaker and tend to corrupt the minds and matters of others who hear them. And therefore, Christians should beware of all such discourse. It may be taken in general for all that which provokes the lusts and passions of others. End quote. James tells us the tongue is extremely difficult to control. Here again what James says about the human tongue. It's a fire. It's a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless evil and full of deadly poison. See, as Christians, we are to put off this type of language and we're to put on wholesome language. We're to develop speech that is pure and helpful and pleasing to God. And Paul mentions three specific characteristics of wholesome speech. It's edifying, it's appropriate, and gracious. Look at 429, Ephesians 429. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that may give grace to those who hear. Say, wholesome speech for a Christian is to be good for edification. You know, an edifice is, a building is an edifice. Edify means to build up. Our speech is to be used to build up other people, not tear them down. Our speech is supposed to be helpful, constructive, encouraging, lifting up. And sometimes, certainly our speech must be corrective, no doubt about that, but it needs to be done in a right spirit. We speak the truth in love. It's much like Proverbs 25:12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is reprover, is a reprover, a wise reprover to a listening ear. Proverbs 25:12. Let me repeat that. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So our speech needs to be wholesome. We do it for the edification of others. Secondly, wholesome speech means that everything we say should be appropriate 
according to the need of the moment. According to the need of the moment, says God. What we say should always be fitting for the situation. Never unnecessarily mentioning things that might harm, discourage, or disappoint someone. Some things, though they're absolutely true and may be perfectly wholesome, ought not to be shared. Proverbs 25, 11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And you can picture that with your mind's eyes. It's just a plate of silver, and on that plate is, is an apple of gold. How beautiful and exquisite that is. God says, so is a word rightly spoken in right circumstances. Thirdly, wholesome speech should be gracious, that it may give grace to those who hear. As Paul already said, mature Christians not only speak the truth, but we speak it in love. Verse 15, raw truth is seldom appropriate, and it's often destructive. We've been saved in grace. We're kept in grace. Therefore, we are to live and speak in grace. And just as grace supremely characterizes God, grace should also characterize God's children. Paul says in Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt. We know that salt is a preservative, as salt retards spoilage. The gracious words of Christians are also to help re retard the moral and spiritual spoilage in the world that's around us. And they also provide strength and encouragement for those in need. Our graciousness reflects the grace of Jesus Christ, who used our graciousness to draw others to his grace. And so maybe we don't think about that, but when we're evangelizing, our speech, our grace, reflects the graciousness of God, how we've been received in his family, that God would use our words to draw others savingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I submit to you, even telling men who are in their sin is a gracious thing to do if it's done in the right purpose and in the right spirit until a person comes to see his sin, faces his sin, owns his sin, repents and turns from his sin, and walks in passive righteousness for his namesake. And so we're not only to put off corrupt communications, but we're to put on that which is good and useful for edifying. The great use of speech is to edify when we converse. Christians should endeavor to promote a useful conversation, that it may minister grace unto its hearers, that it might be good for, acceptable to, the hearers in a way of information, counsel, pertinent reproof, or the like. So, putting off corrupt speech, putting on wholesome speech. Foul language should never proceed from the mouth of a Christian because it's totally out of character with his newness of life. Unwholesome speech should be repulsive to the Christian. A rotten apple as is a spoiled piece of meat. Off-color jokes, profanity, dirty stories, vulgarity, 
double meanings and double connotation, innuendo, and every form of corrupt talk should never be on our lips. Paul also wrote the Colossians, but you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. It's Colossians 3.8. Ephesians 5.4, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It's Ephesians 5.4. Again, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So brothers and sisters in Christ, put off profanity. Put off the filthy words, the cutting words, and replace those words that edify, that are appropriate, and words that are gracious. I mean, only the Lord has sufficient power to control our lips and to guard them from every unwholesome word. I mean, the tongue, of course, only speaks of what the heart speaks. And so what's on your tongue comes from your heart. You hear people today say, oh, follow your heart. Trust your heart. That's not what God says. Solomon says, Solomon says, I think it's in, it's in Proverbs, says that the fool who trusts, the, the, a person who trusts his heart is a fool. And Jesus, in, I think it's Mark chapter 7, says from out of the heart proceeds the evil thoughts of man. And he has, I think, 12 or 13 different evil thoughts of gossip and slander. He speaks of adultery and fornications, of murder of pride. He lists like 13 different things there. And he says, that which defiles the man is from the heart. And so my sermon today is not behavioral modification. I'm seeking to, by the Spirit of God, preach to your hearts. What's in your heart? Whatever's in your heart will manifest itself in thoughts and deeds as well as in actions. Philippians uh, 4.8, a uh, foul, well, let's see, Philippians 4.8, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, and all that is excellent and worthy of praise. So do you understand this dynamic, this put-off, put-on dynamic? It's really in the heart, isn't it? It's not external, it's really in the heart. The change comes about by the power of God, the Lord God, who alone changes the heart. I can't change you. I can point you to the Word, but I can't change you. God, the Holy Spirit, changes you. He changes you. And you can't blame the Holy Spirit. It's ironic. You can't blame the Holy Spirit if you're not changed. Change comes about by the power of the Lord alone who calls, who changes the heart. It's God's grace. The Holy Spirit empowers us to follow. Uh, we've read that already in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24. God's grace of sanctification. Of sanctification, sanctified means literally be set apart. We're set apart in the Lord. It's becoming more and more godly, more and more holy. That's what the process of sanctification is. So when you become a Christian, yes, you are justified at that point in time, 
but also the rest of your life is a process of what we call progressive sanctification. God's grace of sanctification uses the Word of God to renew your minds, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. In other words, we change from the inside out. We change from the inside out. It's injecting wholesome words into our minds, not vulgarity, not impure, corrupt speech and words. When we expose our minds to such corrupt words, to the various forms of media which we're exposed to, music, movies, books, it's like pouring gas on a fire. It flares up. It may even explode. I mean, there's no way that you can take all this corrupt language, be it profanity, filthy words, impure words, or cutting remarks into your mind and not be affected by it. There's no way, young people, you can indulge listening to the kind of words in your music and CDs, movies, DVDs, books you read, without it having a negative effect upon your thought life. Before long, you begin to think these words, and then you utter or murmur them under your breath, and before you know it, it's part of your verbal, audible language. It becomes part and parcel of you. I mean, garbage in is garbage out. The Christian dynamic is to put off, put off the corrupt language, to renew the mind with the Word of God. The Word of God is pure. It's truthful. Renewing our mind with the Word of God, filling our mind with the Word of God and wholesome words, not filling the mind with other corrupt words and speech. Putting off corrupt speech and putting on wholesome speech. That's what we are called to do as Christians. Now, what motivation does God give us for putting off and putting on? The only one place in Scripture that speaks of grieving the Holy Spirit is right here in our text. It's in verse 30. It's in the midst of the discussion of right sort of Christian communication. Not only does the devil rejoice when the Christian uses and misuses words, but the Holy Spirit's grieved. You see, a powerful motivation for putting off unwholesome words and unwholesome talk is when we don't do so, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's painful to the living God, but it's sin in His children. That's what breaks His heart. When His children refuse to change the ways of the old life for the new ways that God has given, it grieves God when they refuse to do that. The Holy Spirit of God weeps, as it were, when he sees Christians lying instead of speaking the truth. He weeps when they, they use corrupt speech. The Holy Spirit of God, who gave you a new heart, weeps when you use your words to cut other people down. See, whatever violates the will of God and the holiness of heart will grieve the third person of the Trinity. So Paul asks, in effect, how can we do that which is so displeasing to the one by whom we've been saved for the day of redemption? You see, the Holy Spirit is God's personal mark of authenticity on us. 
We have the stamp of divine approval. We have the Holy Spirit of God residing within us because we're born from above. How can we dare grieve the one who is our helper, our comforter, our teacher, our advocate, the divine resident of our hearts and guarantor of our eternal redemption? How can we ungraciously grieve God's infinitely gracious Holy Spirit? He's done so much for us. Should we not, out of gratitude, really strive not to grieve Him? The command not to show ingratitude to the Divine Spirit is based on the fact that He has secured our salvation. Paul's not saying that we should avoid sin in order to keep our salvation. We were saved by grace. We're justified by grace alone, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Christ who lived the perfect life, laid down his perfect life as an atonement or covering for our sins, resurrected on the third day. Again, he was delivered up for our transgressions, raised up for our justification. He's ascended into heaven where he rules as Lord. We worship the living Christ. We put our faith and our hope and our trust in what we call the active and the passive obedience of Christ. He's active. He kept the law perfectly, something we can't do because of our sins. He kept it perfectly. The active obedience of Christ. And then the passive obedience of Christ where he laid down his life voluntarily that we might have life in his name. We trust in that as we're saved by grace. And Paul's not saying, well, it's works that keeps us in this grace. No, he's not saying that. I mean, we're, we're saved by grace. We are sanctified by grace. He's not saying that. But what he is saying here is that uh, the Holy Spirit work is to sanctify us. And so, eh, I don't want to get too technical here, but our, our salvation uh, in Christ is really uh, monergistic. It's the work of God. It's the one work of God. Our sanctification is what we call synergistic, where it's together. The Holy Spirit works in us, but... We open our mouths and we allow him to feed us. And as he changes our heart, we do the things that please the Lord. The Holy Spirit work is to sanctify us. And so when we as Christians resort to lying and stealing and cursing and bitterness, we're not only resisting the Holy Spirit, but we're also grieving him. And so it's the lack of sensitivity to the sinfulness of such speech is one of the signs of spiritual declension in the present day. If a person is a professing Christian, a really a Christian, his speech should be free from all forms of profanity. I know we're not perfect. I sin in these regards too, but we're thankful that we have a media that we go and we confess our sins. We confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, where the put-off, put-off comes. We endeavor not to use these words again. Christian, your, your language should be marked, a marked contrast. This should be diametrically opposite from the speech of a worldly person. So Christian, your new life in Christ calls you to replace your corrupt speech with wholesome words that please Jesus. Use your words to give grace to those who hear. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we are so thankful for your word. And we're thankful again that we have your word in our own language. And I'm thankful for all you've given us the ability to read it, but ever so thankful for the Spirit of God who illumines our minds and shines a light on our path. So we might understand these spiritual things. Lord, we confess to the sinfulness of our words. It's not good. But Lord, we're thankful again for the sword of the Spirit that has revealed these things to us. We pray henceforth, Lord, that our that we might be putting off our corrupt and and uh, corrupt speech, and that we would put on its, in its place wholesome speech, words that please you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for hearing our prayers, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.